Good morning. There you go. It's on. Awesome. It's good to meet you. My name is Scott Avey, if I've not had the privilege already. I'm the worship pastor here, and um, I'm so privileged to talk with you guys for the next couple weeks about a series that we just started last week called Compelled. Uh, and uh, if you don't have a Bible, please t- um, either download one on your um, portable device, or you can raise your hand and the ushers will give one to you. If you don't own one, you can have it. Just write your name in it and take it home and read it. It's so important that we're in God's Word daily, weekly, certainly when we come together. And, uh, and last week we started out the series, and we talked about how sometimes in life we can go on autopilot. Like often when I'm driving, I'll arrive at my destination and remember that I don't even remember how I got there, right? And we can just turn off, can't we? We can go on autopilot. And, and that can happen to us spiritually as well. And I use this term spiritually sedentary living. To be spiritually sedentary. And, and as I was talking with someone, they said, boy, you know, this brought up this picture. Brought up this picture of this puddle with just like sediment in it. And it's just sedentary. And it's kind of stagnant water. And the reality is, really, I don't know that anyone wants to say, I'm, I've been spiritually sedentary. I don't, I don't know anyone that says, you know, at the end of my life, I want to be able to say, I checked out in life. Good job, me, I checked out, right? And so we talked about this guy Moses, and this guy Moses had this moment in his life when God snapped him out of that spiritually sedentary life by exposing him to something that so broke his heart that he was compelled to take action. See, Moses saw the Egyptians beating one of his fellow Hebrews, and something inside him snapped, and he had this awakening moment that we called a Popeye moment. If you guys remember Popeye, he was a sailor man, and when someone would mess with his woman... He'd have all he could stands, and he can't stands no more. And those, sometimes, that, that, for, that for Moses was his Popeye moment, but sometimes we can have Popeye moments as well. And so I kind of left you with this question, what is your Popeye moment? What is the thing that compels you? And I told a story of something that is close to my heart, something that compels me to do what I do that, that I see a culture around us that's increasingly um, distrusting of Christians. And so I told a story about um, when I went down to Williamsburg and I encountered these two young people who were from New York City. They were young and they didn't look like they were from Middletown, Maryland. I mean, they just had a different look to them. And as I engaged with them and it came out that I was a pastor, they had no idea how to converse with me. I mean, they, it was like I was a terrorist or that I made puppy skin coats. I mean, they... They just, he was so awkward, and it was like, I, I, I've never, I've never I've, I didn't grow up religious, I don't know anything about life. And so there's, so there's this awkwardness there, and it broke my heart because I realized that what they were reacting against as I talked to them, they weren't reacting against Jesus. They were reacting against Christians. That they had this mental picture about what a Christian is. It may be a character, but they didn't like Christians at all. And maybe, maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you're coming because you're here to support someone that's in the tank. Maybe you're coming because someone invited you to church and you're like, okay, they've nagged me for so long, I'm just going to come. Or maybe you grew up and you have a hard time with Christians as well. There's a person in the Bible that you might connect really well with. His name is Paul. And Paul is a real historical figure. All the historians, no one disagrees that Paul was a historical figure, that he actually lived. And Paul steps into history not as a Christian, but as someone who really hates Christians. 
If you hate Christians, you might be like the Apostle Paul, except you may hate them just a little bit and like, hey, I don't want them to be my neighbor. Paul hated them like, I want them to be arrested and executed, right? He had a mission in life to, to stamp out this sect of the Jewish religion, these people that are followers of something that's called the way, and they believe in this guy who was resurrected from the dead, and this was his life's calling to, to stamp them out. And this was probably 20 years or so after Jesus resurrected from the dead, and there are these people that saw how Jesus lived, and, and Paul is trying to stamp it out. And so he would go from town to town and say, hey, you know, where, where are the Christians here? And then he would arrest them. He would take their property. He would beat them. Many of them were executed. That was Paul. As a matter of fact, when Stephen, the first martyr of the Christian faith, it records that when he was being killed, Paul was sitting there giving his approval. I mean, this is one gnarly, gnarly dude. But then the apostle Paul had this experience he had a point when God shook him and, got, and woke him up from his spiritually sedentary lifestyle, a time when finally Paul's heart aligned with God's. And what he experienced compelled him in some massive ways. Paul was traveling around, and he actually went to some of the leaders of the day and said, hey, I want to go to this town called Damascus. Can I go and do this? I'm going to go, and I'm going to find Christians, and then I'm going to do my thing there. And then Acts chapter 9 records what happened to Paul that so snapped him out of it. Acts chapter 9, he says, As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Have you ever had something crazy like that happen? Just kind of like, whoa, what, what is that? He had this moment, and he fell to the ground, and then he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, which is just another name for Paul. It's kind of like Mike and Michael, right? Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. So Paul had this experience with Jesus, realizing who he was, that he was God the Son, and it changed the course of his life forever. Paul becomes a Christian. Jesus recruits him. And then Paul gets a new mission in life to undo all of the things that he had done up to that point. And to take the message of Jesus not only to the Jews, but all over the world. And so when Paul writes what I'm about to read, it's so emotional. It's so emotional for him. Because he was at the far extreme of anti-Christian. He was an anti-Christian warrior. I mean, he started the category. And then he had this experience that he became a raving fan of Jesus and the church. And then he writes this. He writes this. He says, For Christ's love compels us. For Christ's love. Not, not the wrath of God. Not being a good Christian. Not having the right color skin or wearing the right kind of clothes. Not the Second Amendment. Not being Republican or Democrat not giving food to the poor, not building a big building, not the wrath of God, but the love of Christ compels us. And there's some, there's some language going on here. Some scholars say, well, is it Christ's love for Paul or Paul's love for Christ? I think it's both. I think it's both the realization that Jesus so loved Paul that he would, he would create this life change and give him forgiveness. And Paul, Paul's love for Jesus 
That's what compels Paul. It's what compels me. It's what compelled the group of people that Paul was with. Now, most of you know what this English word for compels means, right? But behind this little Greek word, there's some, uh, there's some different meanings. And usually when you approach this, you like pick one meaning and you stick with it. But as you look through the different ways that it's used in the New Testament, I liked all of, all of the definitions. So check some of these out. The first one says that it, it guides. It guides. Second is that it guards. So that the thought here is that it corrals someone, all right? Think about like a cow going through a corral. It can't turn to the left. It can't turn to the right. The only way that you can go is forward. It keeps them on track. It keeps us between the guardrails. The next one is that it unifies. You know that across the world, what unifies Christians is not the color of skin or their language or what they baptize or the songs that they sing. What unifies us universally across the world is the love of Christ. And I've, I've experienced this. I've met other people that I didn't even speak their language, but we were brothers or sisters in Christ, and there was like this, this inexplicable bond because the love of Christ unifies us. It focuses us. That is to compress all of our energies into one channel. And then finally, it, it motivates us. And this is what drove Paul and here's the thing, it's not just what should drive Paul, it's what should drive us as well. It's to say that when Christ came into the world, it was good news. We use this word, the gospel, and what the gospel means is good news. The good news is that you're way worse off than you could ever think, and that we glance and kind of glaze over our own brokenness, and the gospel says, no, you are broken, but the gospel also says you're more loved than you can ever imagine. And the guy who wrote this used to believe that it was bad news. But he was so convinced about the message that now he's saying, look, this is the best news around. It's good news that our rightness, our rightness with God doesn't come because of my ability to follow all the rules because I can't do it and you can't do it either. It's good news. It's good news that I didn't have to fulfill all those rules for myself. It's good news that my sins are forgiven and that I can be made right with a holy and just God. And anyone that's resisting Christianity, I think, it's my opinion, that they just don't understand what the good news is. What they're resisting about Christianity is a caricature of what Christians are. Because Christianity is primarily about the good news. That before God ever asks anything from you, he wants to say, this is what I did for you. That's the good news. And as a church, as individuals, that needs to be the tip of the spear. That if you don't get anything else, if you don't sing the songs that we sing, if you come in here and you don't look like what we look like, if you don't even act like what we act like, that we hope that when you leave this place, you get it. You get that you heard from us that God loves you. That they can come in here and they say, you know what, I don't, I don't like the songs you sang, A.V. I don't care about the color of the carpet. I didn't even like your children's ministry, which I think is awesome, by the way. I didn't like any of that stuff. But I heard this, that God loves me. That God loves me. And that he demonstrated that love for me 
on Christ's behalf. Paul says, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced. Now, come on, just a moment. I mean, how much convincing did it take for Paul? How much convincing did it take for Paul? We are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. It's a fancy way. It's it's this theological concept. It's a fancy way of saying, look, you were as good as dead and you deserved death, but Christ took that punishment. And so when you believe in faith, it's like you died to your old self and you're born again new. So he gets real theological, but luckily he presses on and he says this. He says, and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. That is, those people who understand what the good news is. They understand that before God ever asked anything from us, he gave something and offered something for us. That it's good news that we can't keep to ourselves. Have you ever had something like that you were so excited about that you were just like, I, 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 like if, I, if I won the lottery, right? I don't think I could just entertain casual conversation with someone. Hey, how's the weather? It's like, I just want a million bucks, right? For me, I remember when I was married at the age of 20, my wife and I went down the aisle and we were getting ready to leave on our honeymoon. And, and so we had to stop by the grocery store to pick up something. And so I went in and I was just thinking, I just changed that in my tux. I just got married. Like, like, not like I just got married like a month ago, but like, I just got married like, like an hour ago. And I, and I walked in and I looked at the, the, the cashier lady and I'm just like, I just had, I just had it just blurted out. I couldn't say anything else. I just got married. Oh, like, like I just got married, right? And it was so compelled me that I had no, it's like no other words could come out of my mouth. When a person realizes what God's done for us, when they've had this aha moment, the response is, because of all that you've done for me, how could I dare live for myself? God, I'm so grateful that you made the first move. And I'm going to offer my life to you, not, not because I'm afraid of your wrath, not because it's going to earn more favor with you, but because of what you've done for me. Your love compels me. And, and you're not, you're not trying, I'm not, I'm not trying to pre, pry it out of these greedy hands. It's just like, oh my goodness, look at what you've done for me. How could I live for myself anymore? I have no other course of action. I am corralled. I'm corralled. I have no other course of action. Paul continues. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this, this, you guys know what reconciliation means. It means to take two things that aren't compatible and make them compatible. God in his holiness is incompatible with us in our sin. The book of Colossians tells us that we were enemies with God because of our sin. When, when you reconcile a checkbook, you're taking two numbers that don't line up and you're making an account for that. You bring two different things into agreement. And on our own, we had irreconcilable differences with God. He is holy. We are sinful. God is perfect. I am not. I was paper and God was fire. 
And this is the amazing thing about the gospel, that God Almighty on heaven that spoke all of the earth into creation wants to be reconciled with you. And he knew that you couldn't reconcile with him no matter what we do. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how to reconcile ourselves with God because we can't be good enough. And maybe you say, you know, even if you are perfect, like for right now, and nothing, like into the future, you do everything right, and you don't make a single mistake, congratulations, you've just met God's standard from here on out. But what about everything you've done before that? What are you going to do with that? The good news is that God made the first move. He accommodated himself to our level through the person of Jesus Christ so that we could be reconciled, made right with him. All of this, Paul says, is from God. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry, right? You read this word and you think, okay, that's like a professional clergy, priest, pastor kind of person, but it just means the word task. That's all it means. He given us the task of reconciliation. In other words, God's done something for you, and God's done something for me, and now he's saying, I'm putting you on mission of telling other people about the love of God so that they could be reconciled with God too. He's looking for us to partner with him to help other people see the love of God. Paul continues, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation. The, the irreconcilable differences are these. They're sins. God wants to be made right with his people. He wants us to experience his goodness and his love, his presence in our lives. He wants us to experience forgiveness and rightness with him. He wants us to be free from the grasp of the devil, from slavery to substance abuse and greed and selfishness. And he had to do something about our sins. And he's saying, because of what Christ did, because of what Christ did, I'm not going to count your sins against you anymore. Think about what that would what that feels like. What does it feel like to have these sins that if you wrote them down and you carried around all your sins that maybe you just, maybe just on this week, right? Like just what you've done this week and everyone saw it. What kind of shame would you feel? I'd be hiding that thing up. Like, no, you don't want to see that. And so we carry these things around like these chains that just weigh us down. And the gospel is good news because he's saying, look, I'm not counting those sins against you anymore and those chains fall off. Because of what Christ did, if you have faith in what he accomplished on the cross, your sins are not counted against you anymore. And the book of Romans says that you're credited as righteous in his sight. That when you trust in Jesus and God looks at you on the books, you are credited as righteous. Righteousness is put on your account. It's on your side of the ledger, and God removes that barrier how can that be bad news? Why would you resist that? I remember sitting down with a friend who I was trying to share the gospel with, and he, he said, you know, I just, I'm not there yet because I don't believe that someone else can pay for my sins. I think I need to pay for my own sins. I don't understand why some. And I'm like, good, at least we're arguing about the right issues. 
At least we're arguing about the right issues. That's the issue. Are you going to do something about your own sins? Or can you accept the fact that God stooped down and gave us forgiveness in Christ Jesus? He did something for you. And Paul is saying, look, look, I am the worst of sinners. I hated Christians. I got them arrested. I had them killed. I mean, he was like ISIS. And God didn't even count my sins against me, Paul says. And that's why the love of God compels us. Do you realize that because God doesn't hold your sins against you if you're in Christ, that you're free not to hold your sins against you either? Unless, and that is unless you have a higher standard than God does. Do you recognize that because God offers us forgiveness, you don't have to hold someone else's sins against them either or against you unless you have a higher standard than God does? It means that God's not holding your sins against you and we're free not to hold other people's sins against them and we are into this ministry of reconciliation. Here's here's what compels me when I think about people around us that have yet to experience that. That in Frederick County alone, in Frederick County alone, there are a quarter million people. And the stats say that 58% 58% in the census said that they had no religious affiliation. They never have the hope of hearing a gospel by stepping into a church. These are, these are people that we live next to, and that 58% is twice the national average. It's twice of Canada. And they're, they're, they're even more post-Christian than we are. It's twice the national average. These are the people who are like the folks that I met in the restaurant in Williamsburg. They don't want anything to do with religion. It means that there are 158,000 people, not in Baltimore, not in D.C., but living in rural Frederick that are never going to be reached by any church anywhere. They need to be reconciled to God. Does Does that catch your breath at all? Let me ask, have you ever experienced this tremendous joy of being reconciled to God? And I don't mean the joy of coming to church or having a religious experience, but the joy of being reconciled to God. Or are you still standing on the perimeter of this thing called faith, just peering in and waiting? Will you take Jesus at his word when he said he's the way, the truth, and the life? No man comes to the Father but by him. Are you reconciled to God? Have you experienced that? One of my favorite hymns of all time is It Is Well. And the second verse catches me every time I read it. It says, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Have you had that slate wiped clean? Paul continues. We are therefore, because we're compelled of all these things, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You guys know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is someone who represents a president or a king to another group of people. They have the authority of the president or the king, 
They are the highest ranking official in the land. And God is saying, look, Christian, look, disciple, look, Christ follower, in the workplace where you live, you are my ambassador. You are the highest ranking person. You are the person that I'm going to use to share the love of Christ with others. We are the representative to those people in our community that God wants to reach. And what is our message? It's this. Be reconciled to God. That's it. Be reconciled to God. That if, that if you miss everything else when you step in here, you don't have to sing our songs, you don't have to look like us, you don't have to do the dance, but be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. Because the only thing that's keeping this from happening is not God. It's you and your willingness to accept the fact that you can have forgiveness, that he no longer holds your sins against you. So in just a moment, we're going to have an awesome celebration in this tank. But before we get there, here's my bottom line, guys. Here's my bottom line. If you miss everything else, and it's this. The love of Christ compels us to urge people to be reconciled to God. The love of Christ compels us Christians, us church, to be reconciled to God. And that the gospel, reconciling people to God, is the why behind our what. We spend every Sunday talking about what we're here to do, to make disciples. We'll talk about the best way to do it, to be in small groups. But what compels us, what behind all of that is the gospel. The gospel is the why behind our what. Because reconciled people, catch this, reconciled people, reconcile people. Catch that? Reconciled people, reconcile people. That we who live should no longer live for ourselves. That once you get it, it's like you're standing in the checkout line saying, I just got married. Like my sins aren't held against me anymore. Once you get it, you've got to turn around and you've got to hand it off to someone else. We've been given this task, be reconciled to God. So there's two opportunities to respond this morning. Number one, if, if you've never experienced that, if you've just been peering on the edge of this thing called faith, this is something you can do even this morning, and I would invite you to do that. It means this. It means that you, you recognize that, I'm, that, that in yourself you're in sin, and there's nothing you can do to be made right with God. God's Word says that all have sinned. Every single person falling short of the glory of God and the wages of those sins are death. And that it requires this move of saying, you know what, I don't want to walk towards my own selfishness and my greed anymore. I'm going to turn the other way and I want to walk towards Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I take his free gift of salvation. It's not because of how good of a person I am. As a matter of fact, that's not in the equation at all. It's because of Jesus and what he did. Have you done that? If you haven't, we're going to pray in just a moment and I would encourage you to respond this morning. Have you been reconciled to God? And maybe that's something you've done this morning. And, and what this tank is all about is it's, it's like a sticker. Have you ever seen someone who's given blood or voted? When they get done, they put a sticker on their lapel and they say, I voted today. I gave blood today, right? That's what this water is about. This water doesn't save you. It's just a way of saying, I'm going public. Jesus said that to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we, that's what we do. As a matter of fact, most of the time in Scripture... Someone would hear Jesus or Paul preach. They would accept the message that they had to give, and then they would be baptized in the river right there, right then. 
Maybe you've just accepted Christ, or maybe this is something that you did a long time ago, but you've never stepped into obedience in the area of baptism. We want to remove every excuse. We want to call you into obedience in that area. So get in the tank today. We're going to have people in this tank, but Pastor R is going to be off to the side. If that's you, and today is the day that maybe you accepted Christ, or you, you said, you know what, I have been playing games, and I want to stand in obedience. I want to get in that tank. Go to Pastor R and answer these two questions. Are you trusting in Jesus for salvation, and why do you want to get baptized? Answer that to him, and then we'll get you in the tank. And you're probably thinking, but I don't want to go home wet. Isn't it better to go home wet than to go home disobedient? Furthermore, we've got some awesome t-shirts that we'll give you (laughs) that you can go home. And maybe you're like, I don't want to get my car wet. Do we have any Uber drivers here? Anyone run run Uber? All right, just just call them. You don't have to get your car wet. You can get someone else's wet. Today is the day. Today is the day, Christian, if you haven't stepped into obedience to do that. For those who aren't Christians, today is the day to step into being reconciled to God. What a joyful thing it is to have your sins forgiven. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you uh, for Jesus and what he did. And, and the reality is while I, can, um, while I can get up here and preach and get emotional about it, so often I lose sight of the magnitude of what it means to be reconciled to God, that my sins aren't counted against me anymore. May that be the thing that compels us as a church, not making a bigger building, not having more programs or bigger lights, but may it be the fact that Christ's love compels us. And Jesus, you said that you'd go after the sheep that were lost, and so God, may we go after the sheep that are lost to do whatever it takes to reach 158,000 people that if they were killed tomorrow, they would not have eternity with you. They would be going to hell. God, may Christ's love compels us. May Christ's love compel us, Lord. God, for those in this room... If it's you, if it's you, and you, you, you want today to make that decision to follow after Christ, that you're saying, this is, this is time for me. I'm going to lead you in a, in a prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And just, just agree with me in your heart. Kind of say it inside your mind and your soul. And God hears that. He hears that. Just say this with me. God, I agree that I'm a sinner. And I can't get to you on my own. I want to follow after you. And I don't want to live with the weight of my sins anymore. I accept the free gift of salvation. I follow after Christ. He is my Lord. I want to be a part of your family and your kingdom. Today I choose to follow after you, Lord. If that's you, would you come talk to Pastor R or myself or Pastor Eric? We want to join with you on this journey of discipleship. If that's you, I would urge you to come talk to Pastor R and, and get baptized. So God, I thank you for what you do. I thank you for how you use the gospel and it instructs not those who, who only have yet to hear the gospel, but God, for those that are longtime believers, Lord, we need to be reminded, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. We praise you, God. You are good, you are loving. Thank you for forgiveness. May we be compelled by your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.